0: Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For ye had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. All flesh is as grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Just previous to this, Jesus had told his disciples... To get into the boat, he knew the storm would come because he sent it. He knew he would calm the storm because he told it to be still, and he knew what was in store for them on the other side of the sea—the Gerasenes, or as some of your translations may have, the Gadarenes. This was Gentile territory. What could Jesus possibly have to do with Gentile territory? And this is not just any Gentile place. This was the place where that man of tombs lived. You could even hear his frightening screams before you got to the shore. So why would Jesus want to go there? Well, his kingdom is full of surprises. Here, Jesus will teach us a valuable lesson that Jesus has the power to save the helpless, to convert the hopeless, those who have been dehumanized by their sin, and they cannot fix themselves. But when we come to this passage, you might be tempted to think, yes, I've been affected by sin, but not like this man. Perhaps the way sin has affected you is not this dramatic. But what I want us to see this morning is that we are much closer to this man of tombs than we might think. You see, Legion, in some way, is a picture of all of us. We are much like this man of tombs. Though we have been bruised and broken by sin and its effects, Jesus stands ready to save us. And Jesus, in his power, is ready to heal and transform and restore us. And so, this morning, I want you to run to Jesus and then tell your friends. Run to Jesus and then tell your friends. You can find this outline in your bulletin if you wish to follow along. Run to Jesus And then tell your friends, because our sin is deeper, our Savior delivers, and our self is different. Run to Jesus, and then tell your friends. First of all, because our sin is deeper, we see in verses 26 to 29 that Jesus has a power that pursues. As soon as Jesus steps out of this boat, there met him a man from the city who had demons. Now we learn from the first three Gospel accounts that this man was naked, bloodied from cutting himself, chains could not hold him, and perhaps the disciples thought this man would finish the job that the storm had started, as the text actually never mentions that the disciples got out of the boat. This man lived among the tombs, was in a lot of pain, he was crying out day and night, he couldn't even sleep. He was uncontrollable, and no one could bind him. This man was a man of the tombs. People used to try to bind him. But they'd given up, written him off as a hopeless case. He would escape into the wilderness, into the desert, Any moments of clarity this man might have experienced would have only have served to confirm that he was repulsive, unloved, unwelcome. He was in utter misery, isolated, alone, self-destructive, out of control. He had chaos within, and there was chaos without. Now you might see this man and think to yourself that Your struggles are bad, but perhaps not this bad. But if we are honest, each one of us can relate to this man in some way. In fact, Ecclesiastes 9 puts it this way The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Insanity is in their hearts. Throughout their lives. Perhaps, like Legion here, you can't sleep at night. You feel tormented by your circumstances and trials, your sin and your guilt, and you may even at times cry yourself to sleep. Some people are filled with such self hatred that they too inflict pain upon themselves. They have an eating disorder, they are filled with an inner chaos. They have a a fear inside, worry, anger, that sometimes seems like those things are controlling you more than anything else. And it seems like you just, you, you can't shut it off. Perhaps you're hurting deep down inside and you wonder where all the happiness, where all the joy has gone in your life. And you see, my dear friends, we are closer to this man than we might think. Our sin is deeper Then we realize it first. In fact, any difference is one of degree, not of kind. If we will humble ourselves and agree with God that our sin is heinous, it is madness, don't make the mistake of letting your pride convince you that it isn't all that bad. After all, with a simple command of God withdrawing his hand, Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king on earth at that time, ate grass like an ox. What would you have done if this man came running up to your boat just as it pulled up to shore? Would you have gotten out of the boat, ministered to him, Sadly, the church often reacts by staying in the boat. They would would rather stay in the boat with the crazies they know than the ones they don't. But Jesus doesn't flinch, does he? Jesus actually talks to this man. He talks to his demons, undeterred by his screams. My friends, Jesus is not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of demons. Mind you, Jesus rebukes self-righteousness. But he pursues the sinner. You can never be too bad to run to Jesus. Our sin is deeper than we can imagine, but God's grace reaches down even deeper to the very bottom of the mire and pulls us up, sets our feet upon a rock. Puts a new song in our mouth, even praise to our God. His mercy redeems even the vilest of sinners. If there was hope for this man, there's hope for you. There's hope for the worst of the sinner who runs to Jesus. The one reason that people don't run to Jesus and trust and follow him is because they don't think they need Jesus. They think they're good enough. You may even be thinking to yourself, people like this poor man are the ones who really need Jesus. They need to be rescued. But I'm a respectable, I'm a well mannered, I'm an educated citizen. I really don't need Jesus. I go to church, sure. I I give money to charities. I think I'm doing just fine, just the way I am. I don't need the cure Jesus offers because I don't have the sin that Jesus describes. But take a look at this man, this man of tombs. It's really not all that extreme of a case. Actually, the difference between us and him, actually, the difference between those who aren't Christians and this man, as I said before, is one of degree and not of kind. For those who are in Christ, we should know that better than anyone. In other words, this is sin here that we just read. This is sin fully working itself out in this man's life, showing just how awful, just how depraved our sin can be. If we're not believers in Jesus, no matter how nice, no matter how moral we may be, we are every bit as enslaved as this poor man. But listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say to us in his letter to the Colossians. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of his flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You see, just like Legion, without Christ, we are alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. In fact, for all your morality, for all your education, all your respectability, it may just be that this man was far wiser than you in the end if, unlike him, you will not come running to Jesus. What a tragedy it would be if one... So oppressed, so dominated by evil, knew enough to come to Christ and be rescued. And yet, we, with all our respectability, will not come to the only one who can save you from your sins. Our sin is deeper. Run to Jesus and then tell your friends. Because our sin is deeper. Secondly, our Savior delivers. Jesus asked this man his name. And he says, My name is Legion. For we are many. Now, a Roman legion was almost 7,000 soldiers. And so we assume that, together with this man using the pronoun we, there were a lot of demons in this poor guy. Yes, Pronouns are important. No, pronouns are not fluid. And a misuse of them reveals that something is very wrong with our world. These demons knew who Jesus was. They knew he was the son of the Most High God and that he has power over Satan and he has power over them, just like he had power over the storm. He just had to speak a word and even the demons would obey his voice. They knew that Jesus had both the right and the power to torment them for eternity, and one day that he would send them to their very end. And so they make an unusual request. They ask that Jesus not send them into the abyss, the bottomless pit, a place they knew they deserved to go, but rather that Jesus would allow them to enter into this herd of pigs that are over on the side of the hill feeding themselves. It was as if to say, if we must leave this man, let us continue our work of evil by entering these unclean animals and thereby destroying the people's property, hardening their hearts against you. Let's touch their pocketbook. And maybe they will turn away from you. The Lord Jesus does give them permission. And we're told that they leave this man and go into the large herd of pigs who rush down the steep bank and into the lake, and they are drowned there in the Sea of Galilee. What a picture of judgment. This is one of the reasons that Jesus had come. He had come to seek and to save the he had come to destroy the works of the devil out of compassion. This man is set free. And Satan is defeated. Uncleanness itself is cast into the sea. Now Think of what we were told in Micah 7. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. What a glorious passage. Our sin is gone. Separated as far as the east is from the west. It is cast into the depths of the sea. Now, dear follower of Jesus, your guilt is gone. Jesus has come. Evil is overthrown. Satan is defeated. To Jesus belongs the victory. The seed of the woman has triumphed over the seed of Satan. His head has been crushed. And the battle belongs to the Lord. This man has been delivered by his Savior. But notice here, Jesus counts the value of one person more than the value of many animals. Sadly, our society today would save a whale but kill unborn human beings. The fact is, my friend, since Jesus counted human life so valuable, ought not we? And what does counting human life valuable look like? It's more than just trying to save their body, save their physical life. It is also by seeking to save their life spiritually. Give them the gospel. The good news that Jesus came to deliver his people from their sin and guilt. Because apart from Jesus, the sin, the guilt, the demons we have will leave us at the bottom of the sea. Satan's goal was to destroy all those whom he inhabits. But Jesus... Saves all those whom he indwells. Only Jesus has the power over evil. And therefore, he is our only hope of salvation. Now, dear congregation, have you ever had someone look at you strangely when they learn that you have become a Christian? He's lost his mind, they think. They might call you brainwashed. Bible thumper. They might even mock you for falling for that Jesus stuff. But the truth is, they're the ones who are still alienated, hostile in their mind. They are the insane ones, as Ecclesiastes would say. They're the ones doing evil deeds. You are clothed and in your right mind at last. Now Jesus has saved you, and he has begun to set things right at last. Some of you may know well to a certain degree what this man endured, what it means to feel the enslaving power of sin. There is freedom for you in Christ. And he came to set the prisoners free. He can set you free. He can set you free from your sin and guilt if you will come running to him this morning. Let him take away that sin. Let him bear your guilt, your torment, your insanity, and free you from Satan's power. Run to Jesus. And then tell your friends. Because our sin is deeper, our Savior delivers. And lastly, our self is different. Ourself is different. Notice with me two different responses to this man's salvation. The first is the response of the crowd. Now, you might expect that the community would have celebrated this man's deliverance. He had been wrecking havoc on this place. But on the contrary, they're quite upset. Out of fear, they begged Jesus to leave. You might think that they would be happy after all. Here was this man. They can finally go and bury their dead. Here's this man who had been tearing their chains asunder, who had been terrifying their children. But now he's sitting there in his right mind. But the sight of this once demon-possessed man clothed in his right mind only furthers the anger and fear that everyone seems to have of Jesus' extraordinary power turning the religious expectation on its head, radically overturning their lives, radically overturning everything they think they know. You see, they didn't really care about this maniac. They just watched 2,000 pigs do the swine dive into the sea. Their pocketbooks suffered because now they had no little piggies to take to the market. This guy just was not worth their time. This man was not worth their pocketbook. They didn't care. He wasn't worth their time. he wasn't worth their money, he wasn't worth their attention. But you see, in a way, the world is often like these Gentiles. Oh yes, they want to see us changed. They want us to see us free from our dirty Habits and awful addictions, but when Jesus does set us free so that we are truly free, we run to Jesus and we worship him. And there we are, sitting at his feet, desiring to learn from him, to follow him. And when that happens, this world is not all too pleased. And we ought not to expect them to be, for they want a nice, pleasant person who is loving, kind, and faithful. But they don't want Jesus. They don't want a Savior. Perhaps it is because it finally begins to hit home that they too are in bondage to sin. That they too are enshackled by their guilt. So don't be surprised, my dear friends, when you do run to Jesus, that this world begins to hate you. So these Gentiles are quite upset at Jesus for messing up their pocketbook. They didn't truly care about this man like Jesus did. But oh, my friends, don't you see? Jesus comes and he says, it's going to cost a lot more than 2,000 pigs to save this man, Legion. It will cost my own life. Like legion, Jesus will one day be naked, shouting from the cross. Like legion, Jesus will be cut and bleeding. Like legion, Jesus will end up outside the city, among the tombs. All this not for his own sins, but for the sins of legions like you and me like this man of tombs. The only way to reverse the effects of sin and death, the only way to make us human again, sitting in front of Jesus, clothed in righteousness, clothed in our right mind, is for the Son of the Most High God to take my place. Jesus had to become my substitute. He lived the life that I should have lived he died the death that I deserve to die so that I could be healed, restored, redeemed, and forgiven. So now do you see the effects of your sin? It really is deeper than you thought, isn't it? But now do you see your Savior? He really delivers us at an eternal cost. The question is, are you different now? I said there were two responses. I would have liked to include a third if it had given us the response of the disciples. Last, we knew they were in the boat. Perhaps maybe that was until the pigs jumped into the sea. Maybe then they got out of the boat. Who knows? But the second response I want to point out is the response of this man. First, you see that as soon as Jesus got off the boat, the man ran to Jesus and fell down before him and began worshiping him. Then once Jesus delivered him from his demons, we see that there he is, clothed instead of naked. He's in his right mind instead of suffering and anguish and crying out and pain. And while the crowds are begging Jesus to depart, this man begs to go with Jesus. He might be with him. This man wanted to follow Jesus. And truly, that ought to be the desire of every Christian. No matter what the cost, I will follow you. They want to be with Jesus. After all, when God's grace sets you free from your sin, you want nothing more than to spend time in God's Word, to pray, to be with God's people, worshiping Jesus together, to to avail yourself of the means of grace, the Word, sacraments, and prayer. But sadly, we are all too content to spend little time with our great Savior, so long as He doesn't infringe upon our schedule. However, Jesus won't permit him to join the 12. but Instead, Jesus gives him a mission. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. There's a great mission. Go and tell your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. You meet your coworkers and your neighbors, and your mouth gets cotton mouth. Your hands get sweaty. Like, I don't know how to tell them about Jesus. I don't know how to give them the gospel. Here you go. Just tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Just tell them your story. So Christians, now that you are free indeed, what do you do? How should you respond to the grace that has changed your life from the inside out? You should follow the instructions that Jesus gives to this man. Go home. Tell your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy upon you. Start with the people you know already. Your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members. The Lord has already given you a mission field. And once those have been met, then you go and you tell others. You go and you try to meet more people. Tell them about Jesus. Go share what Jesus has done for you. Tell them of your bondage and of the great deliverance and how he has delivered you. You are here to glorify God. You are here to spread his honor, his fame, you are here to spread his name to the ends of the earth. And that is why you have been rescued to proclaim how much Jesus has done for us. So run to Jesus and then tell your friends because our sin is deeper, our Savior delivers, and our self is different. Now, if you sit here this morning and you think to yourself that, well, you would better be described as one of those religious ones who. You don't need Jesus. You're as one of those businessmen at the top of the hill. You're okay with Jesus so long as he doesn't mess with your pocketbook, with your business dealings. That's the case. You will suffer the fate of an eternity in the lake of fire. You are nothing more than a pig at the bottom of the sea. If you have never experienced the deliverance Jesus brings by taking your place and saving you from your sin, delivering you from your guilt, then you will never experience the eternal life, both in this life and in the one to come. You see, like this man, this man of tombs, I was insane I was deafer than the sea that heeded the voice of God to be calm. I broke asunder every chain and thought I was free. But then Christ called me. And I was dead in my sin, living as dead among the dead. And let me tell you, you may think that you can hide... But you cannot hide from God. God sees all things. I stood then before Christ with nothing to hide behind, condemned, doomed to hell with sins, marks all over me. But then Jesus shows up. That man of sorrows gave me a joy that no one else could. He took the guilt that I wore and he gave me his robe of righteousness. In its place, and there on the cross, he hung naked, bearing the Father's wrath and curse, the very scars of my sin were upon him. He died so that I might live. But don't think that for a moment that the response of one who is forgiven is to just go back to the tombs and say, well, the tombs are what I know. No, I've been set free to trust and obey Jesus. I do not need to fear the wrath and curse of God any longer because Jesus paid it all. He didn't stay dead. He wasn't there in the tombs for more than three days and three nights. No, He rose. Forty days afterwards, He ascended to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And what am I here then to do? I'm here to tell my friends and neighbors, co-workers and family, that I used to be the man of tombs. But now I've been set free. His body was broken and bloodied for the remission of my sins, for the sins of his people. So will you not trust him now? Let him clothe your shame, the shame of your nakedness, the shame of your sin, with his robe of righteousness. Let him renew your mind that you may sit at the feet of Jesus, eager to be in his presence, eager to be worshiping him with the rest of his followers. Run to Jesus. Now, dear congregation, you have been set free from your sin. So why return to your agony? Why return to your bondage? Christ has set you free. And therefore, you are free indeed. But he has given you a mission. Go home to your friends, your family, your co-workers, your neighbors, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy Will you not obey with joy? Run to Jesus. And then tell your friends. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for telling us about Legion. I pray that you would help us through your spirit to understand how sin threatens to undo us and to cast us into hell, into the very lake of fire for eternity. Would you help us see, also at the very same time, that Jesus has come to restore us, to cover our shame with his righteousness? We don't know where that man got his clothes aside from Jesus, clothed him with his own, Father, I pray like this man, we would go out of this place and go home to our friends and families, our coworkers and neighbors, not with a message of, look at me, look how good I am, look at all that I've done and how hard I've worked, but that we would leave here with a message of how much the Lord has done for us, how He has had mercy on us. Father, we were once sin crazy, but You showed up on shore and found us and changed us. And for that, we are deeply thankful. For it's all in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.